If you are vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. Your next game is going to be deceptively powerful, and here's why. In this episode, we're going to find answers to what makes the hag such a good antagonist. And how can we make hag deals in a way that might actually corrupt the heroes at the table? And how can we ramp up a hag fight to the overwhelming fey encounter it deserves to be? Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. This is Jordan. And I'm his brother, Travis. So we're talking about a truly classic monster here, a dark fae. They're twisted and evil and corrupted. I mean, they've been the basis for every fairy tale since the beginning of time. These kind of stories, stories of hags, stories of creepy old crones that, you know, twist your mind and make you do horrible things have been, I'm sure, the scapegoats for atrocious <laughs> things since like medieval times. Yeah, and they've even been in nightmares since the beginning of time because the hag gets blamed for sleep paralysis as well. Ah, uh, yes, the old hag that sits on your chest. Yeah. Some people pay a lot of money for that. <laughs> sure. You know, my problem with the hag, though, is that it's easy when you're looking for a monster in the monster manual, you're flipping through, you land on the hag, you're like, this is an interesting monster. And then you go, monster, monster, let's look at the monster stat blocks and let's see what the monster can do. And then you just run it as a monster. Right. You almost have the hag just as like a hitchhiker in the swamp. <laughs> it's like, hey, can I fuck with your day a bit? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she pops up and she messes with your party and, you know, they fight her because obviously she's an old crone that's just come out of the soupy swamp and... Obviously, she's a monster. Right. Most people don't hang out in Soupy Swamp. Must be a monster. <laughs> yeah. Like, who chooses to live there? <laughs> Only evil, obviously. <laughs> yeah. But this is a huge missed opportunity. Because core to hags is this good storytelling, which is testing your players. It has, you know, this air of insidious, impossible dilemmas and moral challenges and quandaries and like there's some good shit sitting underneath a hag yeah those super strong claws you see in the stat block are its last resort you know to me this conjures the idea of like what was her name from the little mermaid tentacle sea lady yeah that's it yeah no <laughs> i really don't remember <laughs> damn it i need you to have my back on this kind of stuff well, that or say like Baba Yaga, you know, all of the interactions with a hag have these kind of moral dilemmas that they throw at you. You know, for the Little Mermaid, it was you can walk, but you can't talk. Yeah. And there's a lot of characters in movies that aren't like they don't present themselves as hags, but they absolutely give those hag dilemmas. Oh, I'm on board for whatever this is going to become. <laughs> I mean, Willy Wonka is a hag. <laughs> He says, hey, let me tempt you into my hag's lair with golden tickets. Fair enough. And then let me test 
your morals and your, you know, what makes you you. Yeah. And each one of those kids falls to their flaw. Poor Augustus. And the thing about that story that makes no sense is Charlie also fell to his flaw and then the hag gave him his factory. Yeah, it was just kind of like a... I feel like it's kind of like kicking a kid. You just, at some point you go, okay, now I feel really bad about this, even though you're a little dick. <laughs> you're the only one left alive. So <laughs> here you go. I turned everyone else into giant blueberries. And of course, we always have to work everything into Batman. <laughs> there is literally no topic that you can't reference Batman. Yeah, for sure. So the Joker, he's a hag. He's Batman's hag. Okay. 100%. All right, fair enough. Yeah, he's always trying to test Batman. Yeah, trying to bring him low with his own morals. Oh, you think you're so uppity and righteous? Well, we'll tangle with this one, Batman. And that's the part that the Joker really hates, is just that he can't fathom that somebody can present themselves as so moral and so right and so good that they just have to show you, you know, hold a mirror up to you and say, no, you're not all good. Yeah. There's choices that are not as black and white as you make them out to be, Mr. Bats. But here's the other, the next step of the challenge for me with hags. So then you think to yourself, okay, cool. I need to throw a, some kind of difficult deal in there. But the next layer of this is that you need the hag to really challenge, like you just mentioned with Batman and the Joker. It's all about who Batman is and who Batman is presenting himself as and showing that that can't possibly be true. So now we actually have to tie it to the characters. It can't just be a moral choice of like, save the dog or the little child. You know, either one's a bad choice. I mean, that's that's in and of itself at least better than using it as a monster. I agree completely. Like, that works in a game of D&D. But if you want to make it way better than that, then tie it to those characters and their values. Yeah. But here's now another problem. Sorry, it's just all problems for me. <laughs> the next problem that I have with the hags is now I've got, okay, so I've got a hag and they're going to present a dilemma and it's going to be core to the players, but the players are going to see it coming from six miles away and they're going to go, well, we're just going to beat the living shit out of that old lady instead of dealing with any of her dilemmas. Exactly, because unless your party has the exact same problem that Batman has of never wanting to kill anybody, they see a hag trying to make a deal and they just blast her ass. <laughs> Fire, swords, <laughs> throw it all. We're not making deals with hags. Yeah, so we need to trick our players into a deal with a hag. Right, so the moment you need a hag... You needed to think about this beforehand. <laughs> you got to plan a little bit for your hag. Yeah, this is one of those monsters that, again, you can't just flip open to their page in the monster manual and go, this is what I'm going to throw in right now. Yeah. And you've created some rock solid steps for us to follow. So let's dive into the strategy stateroom and explore those. This is the strategy stateroom where inventive and cunning tactics are crafted for when they're needed most. So the hag. Right. There's different types of hags in D&D, but their core features and what makes them a hag 
are that they're hideous in their true form, but they can disguise themselves with slight differences based on which hag you're throwing at the party. Yeah. You got like sea hags and swamp hags and um, right. giant hags, which is a, the cool monstrous one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of them can only turn into ugly folks. Some of them can turn into anybody. It's kind of weird, but many options there. Most of them can turn into some form of invisibility or go into the ethereal plane or turn into fog. Like, they can get away quick. They cackle into the night and they're gone. I love that yeah. so much. Somebody's just swinging their sword around in circles. Like, why would they ever fight? They can get into trios called covens for added power. And of course, what we talked about, they make deals aimed at corrupting the target. Can we take a quick aside first? Is hag kind of a dicey thing? I feel like this is just like dunking on old women. Yeah. And like fear of older folks. I Like, <laughs> where does this really come from? It's kind of dicey. You're hitting it right on the nose. Like it's, it's really sexist and ageist. And that's some pretty archaic stuff to be like, the old ugly woman that lives in the woods is bad. She's a monster. Yeah, I think of like that Ernest movie. <laughs> and like there's a couple there's a couple more. There's gotta but be better examples. There's gotta be. <laughs> great, great stuff. Yeah, thank you. I'm bringing my A game today. But yeah, it, anyways, it's it's a trope of like, oh, you know, you you thought that the old person living in the house on the edge of town is evil. But they're actually going to help you in the end. Yeah, they're they're good people. Yeah. You're just a dick. <laughs> but yeah, so because of that, I'd imagine that hags, as these beings from another plane of existence, if they do end up living in a swamp, they're going to be laughing at cultures that consider any of these things indicators of evil on their own. Going back to the sexist, ageist, living on the edge of town thing, right there, you've kind of got all of the motivation that you need. To really kind of just not be like internally malevolent, but just pissed off at everyone for treating you like dog shit for years. It's like, you give me shit because I'm old. You fear me because I live on the edge of town and you've failed to get to know me. And now you're going to treat me like shit, but you're going to walk around pretending like you're good people? Yeah. How about I flip you the <laughs> bird and show you exactly how truly horrible you are. Yeah, exactly. You're all terrible to each other behind closed doors. Let's bring that out into the light and make you look at it square in the face. And then what if you gave that person fey powers? Yeah. Now you really have the means. Th this is me, by the way. This is future Travis as old, crotchety, <laughs> wrinkly, scary man living on edge of town. Like, yeah. uh, this is me planning for my future. But this is also, like, if you gave me fey powers and I had, I'm retired, I don't have a lot on my plate, this is what I would do. <laughs> Hands down, lure people onto your property so you can give them moral dilemmas. Yeah. <laughs> if I had the ability to go invisible and shapeshift, yeah. hell yes, I'm screwing with everyone. God, you could skirt the law with that too. Like <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't force anybody to do anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's get to these steps. And these steps, again, are going to be how a hag makes a deal that the party doesn't even know about. And once they pull something over on the party, that's when the party is going to go hunting for the hag. Mm, so you, this is definitely going to require some pre-planning. 
So what we're doing is we're recommending you never just toss a hag into a game. Yeah, and when you can, but if you want to do a little bit of planning, this is one way to do it. I mean, it shouldn't take too long. We just You're suggesting that we're just introducing the hag before anybody has realized that it's a hag, and that's kind of how we should approach most monsters. Yeah, for sure. Quick outline is you want to find a target, plan a deal, disguise the deal, and then disappear and repeat. <laughs> I love repeating steps because <laughs> yeah. that just means more torture for the players. Exactly. All right. So let's start with find a target. Basically, we just want to find, figure out which one of our players we want to mess with the most. Right. You can do the whole party if they've got some clear outline of how they act as a party. But if you want to get more specific, you choose that character that your hag might dislike more than the others. You know, they're the most righteous. They're the most sticking their values in others' faces and things like that. Yeah. The paladin needs to be messed with. <laughs> the paladin's the easiest target ever. He's out there. He's like puffing up his chest, taking the high and mighty road, but he has a dark secret yeah. and that hag is going to exploit it. Because some characters, like the right kind of rogue, is almost on the same page as the hag of right? society. Like, Yeah. He's just like, <laughs> I'm an asshole and I know it. Yeah. That's a... That's a terrible target for a hag. <laughs> it's the friend of a hag. <laughs> the rogue is more likely to move in with a hag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How can I learn from you? This is cool shit you're doing out here. I can already hear the sitcom jingle. But basically, this is going to boil down to choosing two things that that PC considers valuable. Flaws and bonds can make a really good starting point. Yeah. Like, those are those are kind of what those are in there for. Yeah is what is the bond that you choose to never break? This is the rule that you live by. And then the flaw is, of course, you know, what your character probably wants to hide from the rest of the party, that they have a crazy gambling addiction or that they turn rare Magic the Gathering cards into origami. <laughs> I mean, I think that's art. I don't think that's a flaw. <laughs> I mean, it's a flaw that they only use the rare cards. Yeah. Oh, I see. You know, I the see. Black Lotus is all just like crinkled up. It's the same problem as gambling. It's an expensive hobby. <laughs> it's very expensive. <laughs> Please it just don't pisses use everyone that. else off that really wants that card. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Great example. Thanks. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> you can also use your character's wants and needs if they've done that much character prep. That can make some really cool storytelling moments. Wants being an external problem that they want to solve with an external solution. The need being the internal change they got to go through. Hags can mess with that. I mean, this is why we put this in the character development tool uh, that we have on our website. Is simply that we think that wants, character wants and character needs are so vital to any kind of story arc. And that's where I think this can get really, really interesting is being able to twist some of those around and make the character kind of choose, you know, internally to lean towards their want or lean towards their need. And it really kind of creates character growth. And this is a great character growth opportunity to use a hag on your party. Right. Because like as the DM, you should be considering these types of situations in any game, but the hag is just helping you out in a very malicious way about it yeah i mean it's it's built-in character growth and going back to these two things the pc considers valuable 
it can be really deep like that but it can also be as simple as you want it to be like even if it is i know it's we, we joked about it in the beginning but if it's just two npcs the characters care about that can be satisfying that can be fun yeah so next is making the plan so now you've got to plan that moral choice moment that the hag is going to present what that boils down to is a best bad choice moment they're faced with two things that if they go down either path it's gonna be bad which terrible thing do you want to have happen here with a bond and a flaw they have to lose their bond while resisting their flaw or indulge in their flaw to save their bond and i think that this would work on me real quick if you consider my bond being the monies and my weakness <laughs> being ice cream if travis if you came up to me one day and said here's 10 bucks to eat this ice cream you want to do it i'm corrupted that's how simple it is <laughs> Well, it's good to know that you're that easily corrupted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this moral choice moment that the hag presents is going to come in the form of a deal. And something interesting here is that hags would make deals with other idiot mortals just to help facilitate a bigger, juicier deal for a target they really care about. Like she could have other people in the town doing her bidding and you're trying to figure out who's behind this and you shake down the shopkeep and he's just saying, oh, I'm, I'm really sorry really sorry i shouldn't have done it and leads you closer to the hag and they've got another the hag is manipulating them to yeah. do those biddings for for her now you've got the entire town that somehow is indebted to the hag and is all working everybody's getting corrupted like really talented hags would be able to spin an entire town to their tune yeah next they have to disguise the deal and they do that by using their impersonation abilities like we talked about each hag has the ability to disguise themselves in some fashion so they're doing that and they're doing that as somebody in a position of authority probably because we all naturally trust figures of authority do we well yes because i'm taking a couple of points from the book influence by robert cialdini which is about you know the tactics that honest and very dishonest people will use to influence others hmm okay one of the other ones is liking, which just means we're going to trust people that are more similar to us. Kind of one of the worst things about humanity. But, oh, no, no, don't butt and move on from that. Because that's exactly who the hag is going to turn into. Is someone, if we're trying to corrupt the paladin, the hag is going to look like another paladin yeah. or someone from their order. Exactly. Instant trust right there. But yeah, basically, they're just going to turn into somebody, some NPC that you can convince the party is trustworthy. And then they spin them a long yarn about exactly the problem that they're dealing with. Can you help me? This would really help me out. I'll even offer you some money. Exactly. That's the next step. Tell a tale. And during that tale, during that plea for the party's help, they're going to work in something along the lines of, because you are specially equipped to handle this. Because that tactic works in real life too. Playing off the fact that we all think that we're better than average at most things. <laughs> Just like Travis and I think we're better than average at podcasting. Let's let you be the judge of that. Well, <laughs> I can guarantee you that we are not. <laughs> oh, wow. I thought you were going the other way. But yes, that's, that's an unfortunate fact about humanity too is that we all, on average, think we're better at most things than we are. 
I mean, I am, though. <laughs> right, exactly. And if you mix that with D&D's heroic nature, it's fish in a barrel. Fish in a barrel because you've got the kindly NPC that is <laughs> offering the quest in which if you have good players, they should take it because that's naturally how that's going to happen. They're going to throw some money on there to convince the rogue to go along with it as well. And then it's so simple that, you know, it's just a, a helping hand. You would really help this town out if you did this really simple thing. And also you're special. Yeah. How could they not? <laughs> And after all of this, your party is going to come up with some kind of a hag test where they pull out the person's facial skin or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Start stretching the yeah. face skin. Good just, times. Just a quick hag test. Well, what I really like about this is that this is that early win that we need to build that kind of trust. We need the party to actually complete this task so that they go, oh, this person's on the level. We got paid and everything. Yeah, totally. If you have the time to really make this sing, you're going to to give the party that easy taste of success with this hag. And if you can even work in a consequence-free version of their flaw to that first little mission, oh, that's gold. Now this is getting into some truly evil territory. <laughs> you can lean into your flaw... And still collect the reward. Yeah. Then after that early win, you up the stakes for the real dramatic choice that you're presenting. Placing that bond next to the temptation, making sure it has huge consequences. Then the hag disappears completely, fogs away or whatever, cackles into the <laughs> night. And then if they can, they repeat the process until you are a wreck or you figure shit out. So this is just such a lovely kind of end cap to this. Because then the next time you just double down and you make it that much bigger until now, the hag is pushing everyone into their own flaws yeah. through subtle manipulation for a long time. And it's not until the party realizes that they are doing heinous things because we just kept doubling down <laughs> that they go, oh shit, are we being manipulated? And then you have your hag fight. Then they go on the offensive. And I bet you you could probably even get them to do it one more time. <laughs> <laughs> totally. And I don't think you could get a better sense of revenge out of the party. Like, the players at the table are going to care about this one. Yeah, oh, because they've been manipulated. Yeah, Once exactly. it comes to light, that is, oh, you just, you want bloody revenge because you've been twisted, you've been manipulated, and you've it's happened intentionally. So not only are you a bad person, but you're a gullible dumbass. <laughs> yeah. And you as the DM, you're going to have to watch out on this one because you might wake up to your house in flames. <laughs> At least your tire is slashed. Yeah. <laughs> and the really cool part is once they know it's a hag, you don't need to stop trying to make deals. At this point, the party might not take them, but, you know, they're still there trying to take advantage of your needs. They're trying to offer themselves as a plan Z for when everything else goes wrong. Like they're showing up in other quests being like, hey, you need some extra magic for this one? Come on. It's easy. See, I love that part so much as well. Because there is no reason that the hag can't actually be benevolent and beneficial to their other goals. So even if I wanted to throw in a hag, but it's not central to my campaign... I just want to try and do a little bit of an offshoot. I want to mess with them a little bit. 
because that hag could actually help them towards their goals. That hag could be a benefit to them. In the long run, it's not written in stone that a hag has to be an all-the-time asshole. The hag can absolutely be helping the party. Right, and I think that if the party or the character gets through their moral choice in a way that the hag would respect, I think at that point they would actually be like, hey, I know I was fucking with you, <laughs> but I actually like you now. Yeah. This is a great opportunity. Even if your party does kick the living shit out of the hag, get it to 75%, and then the hag says, no, seriously, listen, I've got a great deal for you. Spare my <laughs> life, and I will help. Like, they, they can't not yeah. do deals but again, this is how we can turn it into this tenuous relationship. Yes. The like, I know you're evil and I don't know if I can trust you. But for now, because we have similar goals, we're just going to go along with it. Right. They're like, I know you're probably doing shitty things to other people, but you're helping me. And this goal is really important to me right now. Yeah. It's yeah. so good. All right. So I think we need to give a quick example of how this looks in D&D. Agreed. So let's take a party that has very simple bond and flaw. Their bond is their reputation as noble heroes. They want to be seen by the people as good. Sure. Yeah. They're trying to buy the town. Yeah. So they need to go around being heroes. And their flaw is that they're super greedy for gold. I think this is a pretty easy representation of a lot of parties in d <laughs> I mean, they're all hungry for gold. Yeah. So the plan is really like the party has to do the right thing but lose something in the act of doing so, or vice versa. Right, and that has to be their own choice. They did something bad to get the good result that they think they needed. Yeah. So in this case, what do you think about the hag having valuables stolen from the town over the course of a few weeks, and then they have someone kidnapped from the town? While the party is looking into the kidnapping, ah. the hag has the stolen goods placed in the party's chambers. At the moral choice, the NPC is about to die and the town has been tipped off that they need to check your quarters where all of their stolen loot is stored. Oh, so their their reputation is on the line. If they don't get there and clean that treasure out, <laughs> they're going to be implicated in robbing the town or be heroic, save the NPC. Be heroes, lose their reputation as heroes. Yeah, move on to another town. Or go clean out, like you said, clean out the loot. Do they keep the loot? Ah, yeah. <laughs> well, what I love about this is that there's still plenty of opportunity for the party to be clever. Like, they can they can make that moral choice. Or, as is often happens in movies and books and all kinds of other fiction, is that they'll come up with a third option. Yeah. And that is totally cool in this scenario. If the party can figure out a really clever way of doing that, by all means, like that should be rewarded. Oh, absolutely. And again, maybe the hag considers that clever enough to become allies with. Yeah. So then they have to disguise the deal and they got to gain the party's trust to do it. So why not just have a trusted traveling noble persona that comes through town often as a rest stop? They often bear gifts for the townsfolk. They're well-respected. Okay. Well, and obviously the hag needs to be nearby and be able to see the progress and maybe even twist the knife a little bit. Yeah. Maybe become confidants or benefactor of the party to say, hey, I'm going to help you. 
It sounds like you're on the case of the missing NPC, <laughs> the missing towns person. <laughs> Let me help you. Yeah. Um, I'll fund your your investigation or something like that. Totally. You know, this person that's gone missing has become quite close to me. I suspect foul play. You seem to be specially equipped to handle situations like this. You've already done so much for the town. I think this would really put your reputation above and beyond with the townspeople if you could find this person. So let's work together. And here's here's what you need to go and find this person. And a little bit of that hag knife twisting is at the end of that to say, I'll make sure that you're very well compensated for finding out what happened. Ah, uh, yeah. Because there's literally a pile of treasure that's going to be in your quarters. <laughs> that's evil. <laughs> you got to give that early win. So maybe in investigating the NPC's last known location, the party finds a fine necklace snagged on a tree branch. Generic, but finely crafted. It's an easy sell if they want to go down that path. It also yeah. is stolen from the town. Yeah, I like it. And then we need to up the stakes. Right, so the hag has to give that final moral choice. And I think the way she could do that in this situation is, as the party is following the trail into the swamps near town, the hag appears in disguise, maybe using the ability to create a copy of themselves in their territory. like So it's not actually them. I think that's one of the hag territory abilities. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I think there's a lot of fun options here. And it's not, like, at this point, they can know that creepy stuff is going on in the swamps, and if you want to reveal that maybe it's something hag-like, this is the way to go. Yeah. So whether it's an NPC from town that the party has come to trust or appreciate that just pops out of the swamp, or one of the PCs. Yeah, it's got to be unsettling a little bit. Totally. Like, who the hell is this? What's going on? Yeah. Something's afoot. It, this is not just a simple find the townsperson kind of quest. Right. And the hag at this point offers that choice. Let's them in on the information that they might not have up to this point. Save the NPC who is currently underground with limited air or go save your reputation and get a good score out of the deal. It's so good because it's not it's not the layered mystery. We don't need them to come to the conclusion. This is one of the rare cases of, you know, a who done it kind of mystery where you literally just come out and say it. Yeah. The hag delights in this step. This is the best part of their day, yeah. of their week. <laughs> they have been looking forward to this moment to say, by the way, this is what I've done, and fuck you. This is like when you've baked a cake for someone's birthday, and you say, <laughs> I put all this effort into this, what do you think? That's exactly what the heck is doing. <laughs> I made this for you, this terrible moral choice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I love it. And when they try and hack at her, of course, she cackles into the night and disappears. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then the final step being repeat. Yeah. <laughs> Start a new scam. I love this level of paranoia that we could probably push our PCs to when the hag has done this a time or two. You know, the next quest isn't going to be a hag related quest. They're just going to cackle. <laughs> let the party figure it out. Do whatever they're going to do regardless the hag wins and then you know as a dm i'm gonna let the party do whatever it is they want to do for another quest or two and then here comes the hag again <laughs> creeping back in where they're least expected well i feel a lot more prepared now that i've thought through it to avoid all of those silly mistakes that one can make with a hag like using them as a bag of hit points and some abilities yeah 
Can I uh, maybe get those steps one more time? You got to find the target, plan a deal, disguise the deal, disappear and repeat. Simple, elegant, diabolical. (laughs) All right, so now that we know how to make a deal that's going to torment the party, we got to give them the opportunity for that sweet, sweet revenge in an epic hag fight. Ooh, yes. This is uh, this is the bonus, the juicy bonus at the end of the strategy stateroom. Yeah, it's kind of like a mini horror episode if you listen to any of the ones we've done for monsters. Okay. So first, of course, you got to lead up to this hag fight a little bit as they're creeping through her swamp. And Volo's guide has some cool stuff for a, a hag swampy environment. But one thing I think would be cool to add on there is the regional effect where the party is getting older as they travel through. Because, again, it's the hag being like, oh, you don't like old people? Fuck (laughs) you. Get old. (laughs) Join me when all of your joints hurt. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So maybe it could be like a wisdom save to break free of the mental effects of this. I think that they should get to the, you know, to the hut, the chicken-legged hut in the middle of the swamp. And the end game of the hag is really just to sell them some multivitamins. (laughs) Now you know what I go through. I sell in bulk, and this is the best place for you to get them. And mwahaha, they're actually, they're, the hag twist is that they're actually just placebos. <laughs> Fake out, gotcha. <laughs> this is the depth of my evil plots. <laughs> Nicely done. Everyone says I'm out here causing all kinds of evil magic and herbalism. All I'm, I'm... trying to do is just sell in bulk, man. <laughs> yeah, I'm just trying to make supplements. <laughs> Come on. Is that a crime? But yeah, I think that could be some cool tension-building horror as they get closer. If the party's being smart here, they're going to have to, you know, get around that ability to disappear. Otherwise, you're probably just going to have the hag cackle and disappear into the night again, which they've already done at this point. So you might have to do a little actual party prep and get, like, they might be looking for a solution. So somebody in town might be able to help them with you know, uh, a witcher-style magic trap that forces the hag into becoming material when they don't want to be. I think that's really, like, having something that has limited number of uses Yes, that they can really try to build up and say, like, when do we do this? We need to think that we're going into this on the offensive. We've got this special item that allows us to trap the hag, but we only have three uses. Like, let's make sure that we do this right. You let them spend the first two, and then their opportunity for that fight is going to come with the third. And that's going to feel so good with just the fact that they were absolutely able to capture the hag on the third one and only the third one. Yeah, coming through in the clutch. So we need an epic hag fight. And like we've talked about in previous episodes, we need a fight to have several different stages, stages of events. Because if a fight is just on a straight plane and it's a fight to the death, that's not a great encounter with your big bad. What we need is something that constantly builds on itself and forces the party to change their tactics mid-encounter. Yeah. So when the party finally gets to her hut, which of course we're going to do a hut, classic hag hut, Baba Yaga's chicken-legged hut. They're going to be looking for her. They're going to be calling out for her. So the stage one of this encounter, I think we can reference as the awakening. 
because the environment is going to be that hut beginning to rise and rumble out of the swamp. The ground is shaking. Falling out is going to be possible for the party members. They're going to have to be grabbing onto stuff. And the hag's tactics are going to be her using her illusory duplicate, staying invisible, and taunting the party. Ooh, yes. She's very much still trying to avoid detection at this point. And she's using her hut to attack the party too. She's maybe sending pieces of furniture flying across the room. Maybe you're making deck saves to avoid being pushed around, pushed out. Well, I also like the idea of having that hut be an aggressor in this whole encounter. There was actually a game, a Tomb Raider game, that had a DLC where you were being pursued by Baba Yaga's hut. And it had, like, the front door was, like, hunting for it. Like, it was terrifying. It was legit pretty good. Um, If you want some inspiration for what a hag fight could look like, check that out. Just Google it on YouTube. Totally. You're right, though. Like, I'm imagining the hut being its own kind of force, a character in this. And it can stomp on a party member for sure with those big old chicken legs. And I think one of the books introduced like full on stats for a Baba Yaga hut. We don't need that. We just need to know what it's going to do in the moment, really. Well, we can treat it as an environmental hazard almost. Yeah. So then we get into the second stage, which is going to be action packed. Things are ramping up. The environment is going to be that hut beginning to run through the swamp. Trees are poking in, breaking windows. Things are flying all over the place. It is hectic and mad. The hag's tactics are going to be, you know, she only breaks into the second stage of this when the players finally figure out a way to track her down. Yeah. Get her to come out. Yeah. This is that, like, capture her with that weird magical force, whatever, unique tool for fighting the hag the townspeople gave the party. Yeah. So her tactics at this point, she's starting to get pretty angry because she's not able to do what she wants to do. So finally, she's starting to sling spells and use her massive, very dangerous claws. Yes. This is where she's starting to go on the offensive because she still knows that she can kick their asses. Like, she still sees them as not the not the champions here. Like, she knows she's going to win. Yeah, totally confident. And the hut is starting to step in a little bit more too, throwing in a couple of traps that go off in the middle of this fight, like a cage animating and trying to grapple the most hag-threatening party member. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. Floorboards can just give away and fall down to a second level. Totally. Little basement they got to climb out of to get back in the fight. Absolutely. Then we break into stage three, which is the most, you know morally disturbing stage oh boy (laughs) this is where the hag is getting low on health the environment is going to be maybe the hut slamming into a tree tipping onto its side and falling into a small swamp lake and beginning to sink like the party has been tangling with the hag and the hut things finally reach their crescendo big explosion love it the hag's tactics I think, in this commotion, is going to be to disguise herself as either the most innocent ally NPC the party knows, or at the very least, a child injured, drowning in the swamp, crying out for help, and hags are amphibious. (laughs) So, that means that this is where she can either score some quick and easy points against the party, or she can gtfo she can find like try one last ditch effort to get away yeah Yeah. and if the party does 
give chase she's fighting in a new environment underwater she's got the advantage there too love that and if you want to beef up your hag a little bit more obviously you've got the option of a hag coven which adds a lot more to the fight oh my god but if you just want to beef up that one hag i think you could do a legendary action that she gets to take where just wild hot shit happens and you can get as creative as you want with this like we're thinking full-on fey magic whether it's the target turning gelatinous for a number of rounds or you know doing some alice in wonderland stuff changing their sizes all around this is where that fey magic really comes into play like you could even just roll on the wild magic table yeah and have different things happen within her sphere like she can she's the master of that space if this fight is happening in her hut oh hell no like none of the rules apply when they're in there (laughs) gravity is getting reversed it's just mayhem and we should really try to make it the prerogative of the party to try and get her out of the hut that's totally fair like (laughs) they're gonna figure that out pretty quick they don't want to fight in her hut well i think we've really uh you know done what we set out to do with the hag yeah i think hags are going to be a lot better for me as a result and thanks to the people that we pose challenging impossible decisions on when it comes to choosing what topics we do next with our patrons thank you so much peacock dreams dm thunderbum marley r gar the pirate time warp nico y zach g no ma'am michelle t alan e Felix R. Chris F. The Senate. Lucas D. Lila G. The GM Tim. Welcome back to Nevermore. Thomas W. Tyler G. Ty N. Heavy Arms. Eric R. Aldros. Leprechaun. And Will HP. You all make this possible and we are so truly grateful for your support. Seriously. So we finally have a release date. Look for the September issue of Arcadia to see the article that we collaborated with the GM Tim on. That's going to be the highlight, I think, of our year. Yeah, it's going to blow my mind. Hasn't sunk in yet. Join our Discord to stay on updates for that. Also, thanks to Tabletop Audio for the sound effects you heard in this episode. You can follow us at Hook and Chance on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or Reddit. You can join that awesome community of players and DMs by joining our Discord and getting all the updates and letting you know when that Arcadia article is coming out. And for all the other little projects that we're working on, we got some other cool stuff cooking up. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening, listening and, and blame all your moral kills. failings on hags like me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what a cheap way. Yeah.